that this sermon, uh, which is going to be followed by about a 15-minute presentation of a project that we as a church are going to open. That's why uh, you see uh, Mike and Jim sitting here in the front. We had a moment for missions. Now we're going to have many moments for missions uh, at the end of the sermon. So my sermon is going to be relatively short. So um, follow along with me, if you will, please, as we look at sacrifice that honors God. There is nothing in this world that you do not believe that's important that you do not sacrifice for. I don't care if it's family, God, your work, uh, something you enjoy doing. You will sacrifice other things so that you can do that, so you can participate, so you can give to. Whatever it is, sacrifice is a part of life. There's no doubt about it. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The word sacrifice appears four times in this passage, and each time it adds additional meaning to what is going on. But what I'd like to do first is look at the whole concept of sacrifice. Now, there is no definition of sacrifice anywhere in the Bible where it says this is what sacrifice is. But all through the Bible, from beginning to end, the concept of sacrifice is there and is spelled out in details in many different ways. So first of all, a sacrifice, which should not surprise anyone, is something that always costs me. It's free to the other person, but it costs me. It's not a sacrifice if it didn't cost you. The second part is that when we do sacrifice, the motive of the heart is of utmost importance. Because just because I made my children when they were younger give a toy over to their brother or sister does not mean it was a sacrifice. They did it under threat of great bodily harm in some cases, but they did it. That's not sacrifice. That's being forced to do something. A sacrifice is something I do because I believe it's the right thing to do. I want to do it. I believe in the cause. I believe in the concept and the destination of the sacrifice. So, my motive of my heart, and you're going to see this over and over again in this psalm as we look at it. A sacrifice is given over for the honor, the good, the benefit, or the profit of someone else. Notice, it doesn't have to do with me. The only thing it has to do with me is the actual motive behind it. But if I give over a sacrifice, whether it was a lamb in the Old Testament that was given over, it was given over to honor God for His good, for His profit, for His namesake. If you give to a worthy cause, it's given toward that cause. I am not, and we'll see this, I am not looking for a return. The moment you give something looking for a return, it is no longer a sacrifice. It's an investment in that case. That's not what we're talking about, folks. Now, next point. The satisfaction of being and doing what is right or expedient or helpful is what I get. When I sacrifice something, whether it's money or time or abilities or whatever it happens to be, there is a return. That's not what I'm doing it for. That's not why I'm doing it. But there is a return because you know in your conscience, in the most deepest part of your being, 
you did was right. I got to tell you, that feels good. And it get, keeps your thinking straight because you now have set a priority. What, see, what you sacrifice to is what your priority is in life. Think about that way. If God is last on your list where you would sacrifice, or God's work, missions, or whatever it happens to be, is on the bottom of your list, that's not your priority. If you sacrifice for your spouse, then that's a priority. you sacrifice for your boss, then that's a priority. You can understand, you can find where your priorities are because you will sacrifice in that direction. Now, the, it may benefit the one that's offering it, or it may have absolutely no personal return at all. <laughs> Mike and I have joked over the phone about this uh, plaque they put on Garden Chapel, India. That's what I jokingly call it, Garden Chapel, India. I'm like, Mike, you told them to put that on just to bug the daylights out of me. Not so much the plaque, but the reverend part on. And by the way, in case anybody's new here, please don't call me reverend. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I'm a, a bum. No, no, I'm hopefully not a bum. But, but I'm a lot of things. But only God is reverend. I, I understand it's a title, but don't do that to me. But the, the cool thing is, we didn't ask them to put a plaque on there. But anybody that sees that's going to say, oh, Who's Garden Chapel? You know, what is Garden Chapel? There may be return. We didn't give $5,000, I believe that was the correct sum, uh, to Bonjura Tribal Ministries so that they could put a plaque on a, a building for us. There may be. You sacrificed so $5,000 could go that direction. There may be a return. There may be an acknowledgement. But there also may never be acknowledgement. In other words, you can never have a sad spirit or a poor me. If you have truly sacrificed, you gave to the cause or the purpose, and you never expect a return. There might be, but if you expect it, it's no longer a sacrifice. It cannot have a required or forced return. It's very much like the concept of love. If you love... Biblically, it is unilateral. It costs me, it requires me to sacrifice for the good, the welfare, and the well-being of another person or another cause. But I'm not expecting something back. At that point, it's no longer love. It's no longer a sacrifice. And it is negated if you violate point number two. Because the satisfaction that goes with it, the real blessing, the real joy that comes from being able to sacrifice and showing the priority is negated if we give in pretense or we do it for show or we give it out of obligation. That last one is what the psalmist was trying to make clear to the children of Israel. They had given out of obligation and because they had, they lost the real blessing, the real joy that comes from sacrifice. And God, who was the recipient of their sacrifices, was also not pleased because their heart was not right. So, let's look at the passage itself. It's a courtroom scene, and God says, I have a case against you. I am the judge. In fact, is I am calling the whole world, the heavens and the earth, to come and testify against you. He says, I call the witnesses I want, and I am calling everyone. I assume that means angels, that means other people. It doesn't matter. He said, um, 
I'm the judge. If you, if you look at verse 4, it says, He summons the heavens above and the earth to judge His people. Gather my godly ones to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens declare His righteousness. For God Himself is the judge. God is a judge, and he says, the people that I am judging here are not sinners and wicked, evil, rotten, nasty, no good people. He said, I am going to judge my people, the ones who claim a relationship with me. Does he hold his people to a higher standard? The answer is he absolutely does. When you claim Christ and you claim that he has changed your life, he holds you to a new standard. That's the standard of the righteousness and the worthiness of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm going to judge those people who've made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Any relationship with God is based on sacrifice. And it's not an Old Testament sacrifice. And it's not how many candles you lit or how much money you give or how many times you went to church. It is based on a person, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Whether you have accepted his sacrifice when he died for your sins on the cross or whether you've rejected it. If you've accepted that, he has given you a new life, a life that's worth living and a life that is not simply existence. But he has come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. That's the life he expects from those who are his people. It makes it clear in the New Testament in Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remission of sins. And God is judging his people. Uh, And those people are those that are his in relationship with him on the basis of sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Point number two, beginning in verse number seven, sacrifice is necessary for an ongoing relationship. Think about this. Any human relationship you have that is worth talking about, worth having, requires you to go out of your way on behalf of the other person. It requires you to sacrifice to maintain that. I don't care if it's a a parent-child relationship. I don't care if it's a husband-wife relationship. I don't care what it is. A friendship, it doesn't matter. Any relationship requires you to go out of your way and give way more than 50%. It's not just a contract. But it's more than that. It requires sacrifice. And our relationship with God, if it's going to be ongoing and grow and become really, 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 really priority and important in your life, is going to require sacrifice. Look at verse 7. Hear, O my people, I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices and your burnt offerings are continually before me. Then he goes on to say, I take no need of your young bulls or the male goats out of your fold because every beast of the field is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, they're all mine. The farmer thinks he owns them, they're mine. He says, everything that moves in the field is mine. If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you because I have everything. I don't need you. That's true. 
God doesn't exist because of us. We exist because of Him. He does not need us. Does He desire a relationship with us? The answer is absolutely He does. He absolutely wants a relationship with us. But unlike the false gods of this world, they need us. Without us, they don't exist. God exists with or without us. He is honored. He is who he is with or without my acknowledgement of it. With or without my sacrifice, he is who he is. His existence, his reputation is based on who he is, not on what we think he is. He is above and beyond all of that. In this case, he said in Proverbs chapter two, uh, 21, verse 3, to do justice a righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord rather than sacrifice. He doesn't say sacrifice is wrong. He said, I don't reprove you for bringing sacrifices. He's not saying sacrifices are wrong. That's verse 8. But he said, what I really want you to know is that it is the attitude behind it. I don't need you. You are not my basis. Are we to sacrifice? The answer is yes. That's not his point. The point is, if you think you're simply doing God a favor, you're wrong. Because it's already his. All you decide to do in your life is, what do I do with what he's given me? How do I use it? Do I use it selfishly? Or do I use it to sacrifice for his cause? Is he most important? Is he priority? Is his work priority? Or am I priority? That's what we decide. And my motive. So I come to church. Well, I got up. I, I made it. Somebody made me get up. I don't know. Whatever it is. Uh, that's why I'm here. I gave in the offering this morning because, well, somebody might see me not give. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to contribute to the project that Mike and Jim are going to introduce. Because if I don't, maybe somebody will think less of me. You know what? That's not what God's looking for. That's never what he's looking for. I get up here and sing because I have to. No, because somebody thought I should do it. No, that's not it at all. It's because it's from the heart. Remember, sacrifice has to do with the heart. Point number three, sacrifice without the right heart attitude is worthless. Look at verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice, and you're going to notice this in the next two points, of thanksgiving. Pay your vows to the Most High. We are to give out of thanksgiving, out of gratitude from our heart. That's why we give. That's why we sacrifice. That's why we do what we do. It's because of a right heart attitude. Otherwise, it is hollow. And that is hypocritical, uh, as we're going to see here. There, There was a time when Saul was told by Samuel, go out and defeat the Amalites. Amalites, yeah. Amalekites, I'm sorry, and uh, destroy everything. And this is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Go and utterly destroy them. Men, women, children, all their goods, get rid of everything. They're bad influence. Saul goes out and him and the people decide, you know what? We're going to do God a favor. Instead of being obedient, we are going to save the best for sacrifices. Now, how can you argue with that? We're, we're going to be disobedient because we want to sacrifice to the Lord. And that's what they did. 
Saul, uh, Samuel is not pleased with Saul. He says, why do I hear sheep bleeding and why do I hear oxen lowing and why do I see all these things here that were supposed to be destroyed? And um, he said, you didn't obey, but you did what was evil. They did what was evil because they kept it to give it to the Lord as a sacrifice. The answer is yes. Obedience is more important. In fact is, he says in verse 22, has the, this is Samuel speaking, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices in, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as of the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity in it and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. You see, sacrifice... Oh, well, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to cheat on my income tax so I can give. No, it doesn't work that way. Because God said we're supposed to pay our taxes too. Understand, he is not saying you can negate that by saying, well, this is a sacrifice. In fact is, when David had arrogantly numbered the people, I believe, out of power grab, God said, okay. You have a couple of choices. What do you want? And he said, let me fall into the hands of God. And he said, pestilence, some kind of disease among them. And finally, he said, it's enough. And so where the disease stopped was right in the middle of the threshing field, uh, uh, threshing grounds. And uh, the man who owned it said to David, David, here's the oxen. Here's the implements. Take it, burn it, make a sacrifice. And David said, I will not. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And then he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Those peace offerings are those offerings that show fellowship. That's what he did. He said, if it's really a sacrifice, if it's really an offering to God, it has to cost me something. It has to be from a right attitude. I'm not going to do something that is simply easy to do. That's not his point. And the, the passage here that we're looking at in Psalm 50 goes on to say, You have basically talked righteous... You tell others about my statutes. You take my covenant in, your, covenant in your mouth, but you hate discipline. You see a thief, and you're pleased with him. You associate with adultery. Your, your mouth is loose and evil. Your tongue frames deceit. You speak brother against brother. You slander your mother's son. He said, here you are. You say, but we're bought with a covenant. We, we bought with a sacrifice. Look, look what we're doing. Look, look at what our mouths say. He said, you're hypocrites. Because what you do is you tolerate and take part in thievery and slander and adultery and all those things which you speak against. You're hypocrites. God despises hypocritical living. All the sacrifices in the world do not make up for obedience. It never happened. It never will happen. Never has happened. And never can happen. He wants us to give from a right heart attitude. It's his sacrifice. Offer to God that thanksgiving in way of sacrifice, but from a right heart. And then it says in the, the fourth point, sacrifice with thanksgiving honors God. That's where I came up with my title. 
It says in verse 23, He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me, and to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. Notice he puts two things together. The sacrifice and obedience. That shouldn't surprise you. We just looked at that. But he puts them both together and says, here's what it comes from. Here's how it works. If you want to honor me, indeed, it needs to be a sacrifice. It needs to come from the heart. It needs to have a right attitude. And there has to be obedience that is parallel with it. I'm here this morning because I'm enthused. I have seen in the last six months God working in ways that I haven't seen for a little while. People have been getting saved. Things have been happening. Uh, I was thrilled when I saw the pictures by email from Garden Chapel, India. Just seeing what God is doing. Seeing the enthusiasm that people have come. Our economy is bad. And I'm going to do a real quick, well, I guess better stand in the middle. Uh, a real quick of what is happening at Garden Chapel. Just so you understand financial. This has, does it reflect anything spiritual? The answer is, of course, it does. We have various monies that are set aside, building fund, love offering, unbudgeted missions, unbudgeted local outreach, and the building reserve. Those are monies that we cannot spend for general fund. They are there for a purpose. Unbudgeted missions is money that people give and designate on their um, Envelope that they wanted to go directly to missions. Mike and the committee decide where that goes. Some of that was what did Garden Chapel India, for example. Uh, local outreach, uh, unbudgeted local outreach, above and beyond. These have nothing to do with the budget at all. What you voted on a half a year ago has nothing to do with that. Those equal, we have in reserve to do those things, and some of them will be spent very quickly, others will be there for a while, about $40,000. We also have on hand, a long time ago, because of missions, because when we started to get serious about missions, the elders said, we want to make sure that no missionary ever gets blindsided because we've had a shortfall in the short run. We want to have two months reserve of our expenses in an account. So it's always there. No matter what happens, we can always pay our, our bills. Unfortunately, in the last few years, we've eaten into that, and that went down to about $23,000, which is way less than one month's bills. Month's bills here anywhere vary from $30,000 to $36,000, somewhere in there. That's, a, that's about what we spend every month. And uh, so we have total funds available, $73,000, and uh, if you want to know where we put them, we have no... Uh, some of it's in the checking account. That's so we can do it. Others, uh, we said we need to be good stewards. When I say we, that's the servant board. Good stewards, so we put it on interest because we're not using it immediately. It's all available about every th- uh, three months. It's available without penalty. So, and, and you'll notice that bottom figure is not exact. That's simply because there might be a few hundred dollars in there for uh, Jim Nagel or the Buckners or some other uh, individual missionary that is not included in that. The point is, I looked at what happened the first six months of last fiscal year and this fiscal year. Giving in our economy is up for general fund, that is the stuff that goes to pay our regular bills, is up almost $1,000, like 800 and some dollars. We are, last year at the end of December, we had $70 in the black. This year, it's about 11 and a half a thousand. Last year, in the first six months, there was about $9,000 given above and beyond to unbudgeted missions. This year, it's been about 13500 
in an economy that's bad. I got to tell you, somebody is sacrificing somewhere. I'm encouraged. And the neat thing is, we're able to replace some of the shortfall that we had in our reserve to make sure that we can pay all of our bills. I tell you what, folks, we are going to right now turn this over and we're going to challenge you to a sacrifice from the heart. Above and beyond, not taking away from what you give the general fund because we still need to pay our bills. We still need to do all of those things. Uh, that's the vast majority of what we do. But Mike and Jim are going to challenge you that there's something really neat going to go on. And we want you. I am enthused. The leaders of the church are enthused. Uh, we are looking forward to what God is going to do. Uh, the neat thing is, and I just realized this, Joe Federhoff is in New York helping a young pastor get settled in his house. That's his son. Paul Wagner is in Liberia. Jim is going to go to Nigeria. Russ is going to go to Burkina Faso. Uh, in a couple, we, we can't even have an elder board meeting because the leaders of our church are on mission projects. And in March, I'm going. And Bruce, he's usually in Maine with interim youth ministries starting a youth camp there. I got to tell you, I see great things happening. And it's because people sacrifice. Give to the Lord from a right heart attitude. I just want to encourage you in that direction this morning. Mike? like to keep the excitement going this morning. Uh, how, many of you out there, how many out there saw the uh, big piece of steel out in the driveway coming in up the steps? That is a generator. That is a big generator that runs lots of welders. And Jim Nagel is here. He, he approached the missions committee to talk to us about sending that generator to Nigeria, and we've decided to do that. Uh, there's a short video we'd like to show you to give you a, an overview of the ministry that we're supporting through the sending of this generator. And then Jim Nagel is going to give you some oversight or some uh, uh, information on how he came about this and some ways that it was confirmed to him that this is something that we should be doing. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Jim Nagel to you. First, we're going to see the uh, video, and then I'll talk to you about how you can get involved. Thank you. Like so many developing countries, Nigeria seems to have more than a share of handicapped and disabled children and adults. Nigeria has the highest incidence of polio in Africa. Although valiant attempts are being made at vaccination programs by Rotary International and other groups, the WHO estimates that only 20% of Nigeria's children are immunized with the basic vaccines. Once polio strikes, there's no cure or treatment for the paralysis. Most of these children have never seen a doctor in their life anyway. All they know is that they had a slight fever and woke up paralyzed one morning. Crawling on hands and knees is the only way they can get around. They can't go to school unless someone carries them. Many become throwaway children, an embarrassment and disgrace to their family. In 1999, on one of our first trips to Nigeria, God linked us up with one such young man, Ayuba Gufwan, a Christian religious knowledge teacher in a public junior high school in Jos. When Ayuba finished the third grade, his father told him it was a waste to keep paying school fees for a boy that walked on his hands. It wasn't until he was 19 when his uncle built him a wheelchair, and then he went back to the fourth grade. 
With enormous determination, Ayuba finished high school and three years of teacher's college. On his first day of teaching, his principal sent him to a workshop for CRK teachers conducted by Dr. Danny McCain and Dr. J.A. Elori. I was still learning the ropes and sitting in the back when I heard a clump, 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 and in came a young man walking on his hands on wooden blocks. That providential meeting has led to an amazing partnership. Ayuba has a vision for helping the hundreds of thousands of disabled in Nigeria. He's finishing the law school evening program at the University of Jos so that he can become a more effective advocate for the disabled. When he finishes his senior project, he'll be the first university graduate in the history of his village. In 2001, he conducted the first ever census of all the disabled in Plateau State. He came up with the names of several thousand crippled young people alone who need wheelchairs. This man had polio as a boy. He's married with two kids, but he's been walking on his hands for 10 years since his old wheelchair wore out. The project started small, building a few wheelchairs at a time at a little shop right there in Jaws. In 2004, Ayuba opened our own shop, and we can now build our own wheelchairs, a hundred at a time. The bicycle parts are imported from India and purchased from a wholesaler in Kano, four hours to the north. The tubing, plywood, and other supplies are purchased locally. Ayuba is now working full-time in this ministry, so with our nine shop employees, including two night guards, our payroll runs a little over $300 a month. We have also purchased half interest in a van for transporting the wheelchairs. Ayuba, tell each one to come and pick a chair. We are building these wheelchairs for $100. For $100, a young person's life is absolutely transformed. Now they can go to school. Now they are somebody. They are children of worth. Ayuba arranges these presentation ceremonies, and I raise the money. Each trip when I come home and show my video, people are very generous. How often can you totally transform a child's life and give them a future for $100? Every child is presented with a Bible. We want even the Muslim children to know these wheelchairs are presented in the love of Christ. Ayuba is constantly on the road in the little 20-year-old Toyota with hand controls that we got him, meeting with government officials or church leaders to arrange these presentations. Up to go, down to stop. Here we are on our way to the remote village of Camway, four hours from Jos, two and a half hours on a bone-jarring jeep track through the beautiful Nigerian mountains. This was Ayuba's fourth trip to Camway to arrange this presentation. Apollos, our ace Nigerian mechanic, says God must have a special guardian angel to keep Ayuba's car running on these punishing trips through the bush. We were astounded to find a thousand people had gathered for this special Sunday service and wheelchair presentation. Nineteen churches from Pentecostal to Roman Catholic had come together for this historic event, the first time ever in the history of this area. Three priests and a dozen Protestant pastors led the four-hour service. We would invite all of you to the head table because today you are our special honored guests. Jesus has a very special place for those who are disabled. 
and we want to especially honor and recognize you today. So I made a little video of, of a Yuba after we got acquainted and I helped him build a, a, a wheelchair. Uh, when I went back to America, I showed this video to my church. And the people were very generous. They said, can we help you build some more wheelchairs for other uh, disabled people in Nigeria? We are so grateful because what has happened today is really a, a historic occasion. We have never had it before. And no one ever thought that it would ever take place like this. But God in his infinite power has done it in the way we now are witnesses. Most every village has a bicycle mechanic. So these simple low-tech wheelchairs can be easily repaired when necessary, unlike many well-meaning but impractical Western solutions for third world problems. Ten of the 12 recipients had never been to school because, of course, crawling on hands and knees, there was no way to get to school unless someone carried them. Now that they have mobility, however, the parents promised they would all be enrolled in school the next day. We have done a number of partnerships with a Christian inner-city ministry, Eden Bege, meaning House of Hope, that works with Muslim street boys and other inner-city poor, mostly Muslim. appreciate what you've done for us. It is our uh, honest prayer that uh, brethren who donated these gifts to the brethren in Nigeria, that the Lord will greatly reward them. It is our sincere prayer that many will come to know the Lord through the deeds they have sown in their hearts. May God richly bless all of us. Thank you. Thank These you. are members. You are the pastor. And the pastor, Reverend Ephraim D. Youngs. Okay. We've done wheelchair presentations in 16 of the 17 local government areas of Plateau State. A local government area is like a small county in the U.S. Many of these ceremonies are major events, as if Bill Gates himself was coming to give a million dollars. These presentations raise the visibility of these forgotten children, and Ayuba's example shows that just because you're crippled doesn't mean that you can't achieve great things in life. What an inspiration he is to these disabled children and adults, and what a challenge to all the government officials. In fact, after presenting four or five wheelchairs at a local government area, Ayuba's strategy is to challenge the officials to a 50-50 partnership to build 25 or 30 more wheelchairs for the other disabled in that jurisdiction. We want to challenge and motivate Nigerians themselves to take responsibility for helping these kids and adults. Of course, they all agree, but talk is cheap, and coming up with the money is another matter. Some officials, however, have finally come through with their half of the partnership. They are finding they can score a lot of political points with these presentations, get their face on television, and engender enormous amount of goodwill. We are praying that these 50-50 partnerships will catch on more and more and that we can expand into neighboring states where the needs are even greater.
We discovered several years ago that there are over 80 blind students at the University of Jaws. That part of the video just goes in. Uh, they also do uh, cane presentations to the blind people. Uh, you came and picked me up in that car you saw there, and uh, he's quite an interesting character. Uh, get Don Bege uh, missions... Uh, ministry that they have that they spoke of in there. That's the one that my daughter worked at when, when she went over to Nigeria. The, the excitement that these wheelchair presentations uh, cause, uh, even more excitement than when there's a borehole presentation. A borehole is a well. They call wells over there boreholes. So uh, even these 19 churches coming together, that, that's the first uh, there was ever an assembly of uh, churches from different denominations coming together. Uh, the Lord laid this on my heart to help them find a generator uh, about three months ago. And, uh, you know, I, I approached uh, the missions committee. All I was seeking at that time was their blessing that I could proceed with it. I wanted them to check things out. And uh, they did. And it took a while to go through the the political channels here at the church, which is not a bad thing. It's a, a good thing to make sure everything was in order. Uh, there's an awful lot I'd like to say, but, you know, for the time factor, uh, I don't want to get into it now. Uh, I'll be down here uh, probably close to the next two months uh, doing work to the generator. Uh, I chose to bring it down here because it is a project for the church now, and I just want to encourage you if you uh, if you'd like to help me with it, uh, again, I'll present uh, exactly what I'm going to be doing uh, at another time, but, you know, you can contact me because there is a lot of work to be done on it. So I'm going to let Mike talk. Like I said, we're really pressed for time today. Thank you. How many of you were surprised at the, at the problems that they have in Nigeria with polio? I was, I was shocked. I was more than shocked. I was probably taken back with, with, uh, with grief and, and sorrow for these poor people who actually crawl around their hands and knees their entire lives. And these wheelchairs are something that gives them the mobility, as, you can, as I said in the video, for them to be able to go to school and have a life. What Jim didn't tell you is that Ayuba, the guy that started this ministry, is the first person in their village to ever go to college. And he graduated from college. He's actually going on to be a doctor, or to get his doctorate. And uh, he has this passion for reaching others with polio. So Garden Chapel, you can get involved uh, several different ways. The first and foremost way is to pray. I don't care if you do anything else. I'm asking that you pray for this generator that goes to go over there. I'm asking that you pray uh, continuously for that because if it's not bathed in prayer and we don't have the Lord's hand in this, then I don't want anything to do with it. So the other way that you can, that you can help us is to provide, help us to provide the funds to send the generator over there. Um, the Lord has confirmed us in many different ways. Uh, if you know anything about shipping stuff internationally, it's very expensive to get equipment, those kinds of things, into, the, into countries. And we've been blessed uh, with free shipping. Uh, to, we were able to put this container in a, put this generator in a container with other stuff going to Nigeria. And because it's in that container and because it's considered humanitarian aid, we also don't have to pay customs charges to get into the country. That right there probably saves seven or eight thousand dollars at least. 
So this is the Lord's hand is in this. There's no reason we should. And the generator itself has a great story. Uh, we can't get into any of that. But if you feel led to, to give to this, we ask you to give sacrificially. A lot of our funds in, in general giving uh, go to missions already. We don't want to take away from that. This is just something that if the Lord's laying on your heart, give sacrificially to that. Mark your, on your envelope, um, Wheelchairs for Nigeria Project. And next week we'll have some brochures uh, with correct information on them. We got them today, and I found out they had the wrong information. It's my fault. But we'll have these in the bulletin next week for you to give, um, for you to have his information to give to others as well. So thank you. One thing, both of these guys were up here presenting this. The generator is for the shop where they weld the generators. Their generator keeps breaking down. There is no power grid like we have. They need a generator that will operate all their welders and their bender, well, mostly welders and lights. They need something reliable. And uh, Jim was able to purchase the, the uh, generator at a very reasonable price. It's exactly what they need and we just want to encourage you there's also if you'd like to help physically help paint the generator work on the generator talk to jim he's in charge of that it's here well it's right out here but it'll be in a shop uh, that mike owns uh that will be able to work on that uh at appropriate times and we just want to encourage you to be a part of that we believe it's something and every one of those wheelchairs and this is sort of, uh, this is really huge, says in the name of Jesus on the back. Unfortunately, they don't show that on the video. And you understand, this is a Muslim country. And to them, there's the, even the Muslims are willing to accept them because it's such an exciting thing, like they said. So I want to really encourage you in that direction. This gives the local pastors there the opportunity, just one more opportunity, one more way of reaching out with the message of the gospel. And we want to really encourage you in that direction. And yes, it's sacrifice. No ifs, ands, or buts, and no apologies. Because we're asking you, are you willing to make that a priority and give so that it's for the benefit, the good, and the profit of someone else to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to close with a word of prayer. Would you please stand? Father, we thank you that you're a God that has met all of our needs. And because you've met our needs, we have the opportunity, the resources, the ability to give above and beyond what's required. Lord, the word is sacrifice. You sacrificed your son, his death, on our behalf. You have bent down to touch us. And Lord, you're giving us an opportunity to touch others, to sacrifice the way you've sacrificed for us. But not even close to that, just a small part. And I just ask that we would generously get behind this project so that we could uh, not only send a generator, fix a generator, send the parts, help Jim uh, with his uh, expenses to go over there and install it and get it up and running. Lord, uh, just the benefits for not only now but for eternity are well worth any sacrifice. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go with God.